0: right
1: today's topic super excited to discuss this today we've got email which might be the one activity that is harder for manufacturing marketers to get away from than trade shows um but i know i mean but (laughs) do we actually want to get away i mean i think that's that's the other question here um you know or are we just maybe not doing it quite right. Are we leaving a little bit of uh, meat on the table when it comes to email? For a lot of companies, email is just something they do without much strategy. Um, So, you know, we're thinking, who do we need to send this to? Everyone. What's the topic this month? Another product. Send it their way. Um, And then, you know, like, why are people unsubscribing? We question. And uh, maybe it's because of those two other things we just did. But if you find yourself in this situation, um you know we you're not alone. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of us that are there., uh, so that's why we've brought uh, a friend to join us on Industrial Marketing Live today. So I'd like to introduce you to James Bachman. He's our content director here at gorilla seventy six. You want to say hi, James?
2: Howdy y'all? It's great to be here. James. I'm excited.
1: yeah, we're super happy to have you, James. Um, James writes a lot of emails, uh, for Gorilla 76. Um, it's not something we do heavily, but I think if anyone follows Gorilla 76, um, you're probably in some of our email, uh, newsletters that go out and you can kind of see what we do, uh, as a company, but, but yeah. Um, so we'll just jump right in, uh, you know, first things first, uh, we were discussing this and we were going down a whole bunch of rabbit holes yesterday and, Grace, uh, right, our strategy director was like, you know, I think we should back up a little bit. Like, why are we even doing email in the first place? And so I'd like to pose that question to, you know, Mary and Brendan um, specifically, you know, like, what is it about email that makes us want to do it? What are we trying to get out of it in the first place?
3: Um, Yeah, so I think those are two very different questions. So like the reason why we do it um, that's probably because it's free. So a lot of you know industrial marketers are like, yeah, of course, your directors and your um, leadership wants you to do email. It's free. Just send it to everybody. It doesn't matter. It's just email. Who cares? Um, how should we be thinking about it is a little more nuanced. And I like that question. I think we should be thinking about email as another distribution channel. So as a way for you to get your message out to the right people.
4: Yeah. And, uh, Mike said it in the chat. Uh, so Mike said, importantly, it's a channel that you own. Um, we own the list of emails and theoretically that list of emails are our biggest fans. You know, people that have said they want to hear more information from our company and they want to hear about our news and our thought leadership. They want product information. Uh, so we, they're kind of a captive audience a little bit. Um, I think you still have to treat that list with respect, but it is a company of people that, you know, who know you, right? So like you're not like you have brand awareness in this channel, and they have some sort of probably a product awareness with you. So that's why I like that channel is because you can write specifically to people who know who you are. James, what about you? What do you think there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I like hearing someone say we do it because it's free because it's really easy for me to then say well. Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should think about how much it costs to do well. Um, and, uh, it's like, I'm sure many of the people here, if they heard, they asked a customer, why did you go with the competitor's product? Well, cause it was cheap, you know, they might have a pretty good argument against that. Um, so I think, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about when the reason that you do things, um, might not really align with like a goal that you have and and an actual outcome. Um, so I think it's great that I know that we like to encourage people to think differently than that. Um, so yeah. And I agree with Mike that the best thing about it is that it's a channel that you own entirely.
1: So we talked a little bit and, you know, gorilla, we run a lot of, um, Demand generation campaigns, so things on uh, social media channels like LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and when we set up campaigns there, we're looking at, you know communicating a very specific message. Um, so I think some of those messages overlap here. So like, you know what are you trying to communicate with your email? Are you trying to communicate thought leadership? Are you trying to just you know send product information? Um, and Mary, you brought up one yesterday of just post-sale support, you know, um, there's lots and lots of reasons why we send email, but are there any that you'd add to that list or would you guys elaborate on any of those? And the question was like,
3: why they have such high open rates or which ones I thought had high open rates?
1: So just kind of try and talk through the goal of email in the first place? Like if we're sending it for thought leadership, are you sending it for product education or like what other types of emails are we sending and
3: which ones do you see are the most valuable? Yeah. So the, um, order confirmation one is a really interesting one. I did like a big audit of all the emails that we sent at my former company and there were two that stood out with the highest open rates, like open rates above 30 to 40%. And those were order confirmations, which seems obvious. Someone orders it. So they expect to receive an order confirmation of that product order. And then webinar registrations. So they actually said, hey, I want to register for this webinar. They go to their email so they can add it to their calendar. So if you really think through that process of why those emails work so well, it can kind of reveal what types of content and what you can expect from a response rate from those types of emails. So to your point, Peyton, something like a thought leadership, I probably wouldn't measure by necessarily like clicking or um, I mean, open rates are really good, but I would mostly just want to see like, uh, is the audience consuming my content and is my subscriber list growing? So is my content so valuable that more people are actually subscribing, wanting to hear more from me?
5: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think too, if you, if you can be pretty confident that someone's going to open an order confirmation email, um, how much have you thought about that email and what, and what you say in an order confirmation email, um, and how you treat the customer in an order confirmation email. Um, there's, there's so much more that you can do beyond here's your order number and expected delivery date. Um, and. When you think about it from the lens of, this is an email that people actually do open. All of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, we need to be thinking about this. We need to be um, doing more better.
1: So I think a lot of times when we think of email, we just think of newsletters. So thinking about email in the context of newsletters. And And product promos
3: email. Peyton, those are very important.
1: Are they not the same thing? (laughs) Um, Yeah, but but who should you even be sending it to in the first place?
4: Yeah, so I think here, because it's a channel that we own, we should only be sending our emails to people that have explicitly said they want to receive emails from us, right? So I think that pretty much eliminates a lot of different means of getting it. And it like really narrows down like where you can get emails, right? So it's either like a form on your website that is, you know, subscribe to our newsletter, subscribe to our email list. Um, or if someone checks, like they want promotional materials uh, on your main get a quote form or on an order form, if you're doing like e-commerce kind of things. Things like buying a list from Zoom Info, uh, you know, buying a list from a third party, like um, like a trade journal running webinars with a trade journal and using that list, taking a whole list from a trade show. None of those people ask to receive your emails and it's really spammy. And like I get that it's legal to do that in America. Um, It's probably illegal in some other places if anybody else is not in America right now, but in America it's legal to do that. But just because it's legal doesn't mean it's a good marketing practice. And you risk being marked as a spam provider and having your email authority get destroyed. Um, and at the very best case, uh, you're most likely uh, annoying most of those people you're emailing, uh, which hurts your brand awareness and like it hurts who you are as a company. And people like I actively don't work with companies that annoy me in my email inbox, right? Like, and I think a lot of people are like that. So you know, if marketing and sales. So only email people that want to be emailed by you.
1: So not webinar attendees.
4: I would say, like. I would not put that person into my newsletter flow. I would probably do one and say, hey, thanks for attending the webinar. Um, if you want to catch the recording, here it is. Here's some highlights. Um, and then maybe give them a call to action. Like if you'd like to receive more information from us, here's how you subscribe. And then stop. If they don't want to be on the list then, then stop. And I, like, same thing with Rachel. Like, I think one email after a thing is okay. But to just like assume that that person wants to be in your newsletter workflow, it's not the right move.
1: Do y'all have any thoughts on purchased lists? I feel like that's pretty common in this space.
3: Yeah, I don't think... So I had a formerly hard stance on them. I'd be like, no, purchase lists are dumb, waste of money. Um, But I think it all depends on what you're going to do with it. So if it's part of a larger strategy to like... You can upload email lists into Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, YouTube, and retarget those people on those channels. Um, So I think that's a smarter way to do it. I do not think that purchasing an email list... Uploading it into your CRM and then acting as if those people had subscribed to your emails is the right move because they didn't. You're just going to, you know, like Brendan said, invite distrust and frustration. Um, So there's just better ways to use purchase lists. I'm not against them entirely. I'm against them if you're spending, you know, thousands of dollars on them and you don't have a cohesive digital strategy to back that up. That's like very frustrating to me especially as an industrial marketer who had a lot of trouble getting budget for other digital channels.
1: We've had a few questions come up. Uh, Brendan, you mentioned, uh, email authority. Can you talk a little bit more about like how that's measured? And
4: yeah. So Ryan asks, how do you measure your email authority? And is there a score somewhere? Ryan, I have no idea um i have no idea how that's measured and i have no idea where the score exists i think it's with the esps right with the email service providers. so i think um someone in here probably is smarter than me about this but i think you know it resides like you know google and they have like a, a a ranking that says like this email is constantly getting unsubscribed or blocked to spam and so we will not be accepting any more emails and like so you see like in your like in your google inbox there's like that spam folder and a lot of things get put into spam. Well, it's because a lot of those things have been marked as spam by other people. And so that automatically just goes into your spam folder. And I think other, you know, large email providers also do that.
3: Yeah, Beth just made a really good point on cleaning up lists too. Um, I would not rely on your email automation provider to clean up your list for you. So like, I think HubSpot does this where if they don't open five emails in a row or something, they say they put them on a suppression list, but it doesn't always happen. So I would highly recommend, like Beth said, maybe quarterly or even twice a year, just going through there and do like a filter in your email automation platform. It should be pretty easy, where if someone hasn't opened the last five to seven emails, just put them on the unsubscribe list. Like Just put them there. They don't want your emails, they're not opening, or they might not even like work there anymore. So highly, highly recommend cleaning up your list regularly.
4: Uh, Brittany just dropped in the chat, uh, senderscore.org, um, is a potential website, you can check to see what your, um, like sender authority score is. Thanks Brittany for putting that in there.
1: Takes a village.
4: And then, okay. So we had Ryan and then Tom asked the question, how often do you clean up email accounts that haven't opened in a while? So I think Mary, you just answered that one. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard like, you know, like put it onto your calendar, like once a quarter and just like make sure that you're just going in there and removing those people.
3: Yep. All right.
1: Um, We've got another question. Abdullah, uh, being a manufacturer, how would you contact a sourcing person of a company if not by sending an email?
4: Hmm. Uh, Abdullah, I think that is a great question.
1: Is is it like uh, cold outreach, Abdullah? Do you want to unmute and give us some context? I would assume Hi.
5: Hello. Hey, Abdullah. Hi. Hey. hey. Uh, yes. Uh, uh,
3: basically, I am a manufacturer from Pakistan, Sialkot, cool. and I'm uh, mostly doing cold emailing. And I uh, read your LinkedIn post. That's why I have joined your webinar to learn which is a better approach, if not a cold emailing. Mm. If I yeah. don't know the uh, person directly.
4: So I think yeah. you know if if cold email is is a thing like you know, maybe sending one cold email and letting a person get in there. But like, I know like there's like the sales uh, philosophy of like, you know, go for no and just send emails until somebody breaks down. But it's like, is that, is that the right way? So I I would look at Abdul, like, how are you using that first email to reach out to somebody? Is it, you know, are you just like, Hey, hate to bother you. Uh, Here's a, you know, here's some information about my company. Or are you trying to distribute thought leadership, educational informational material, you know, as part of a demand generation program? So I would invite you to go and take a look at our uh, episode on demand generation. Um, I think I'll pull it up and put it in the chat for you. um, So you can kind of see what our philosophy is there. Um, But we are not proponents of like just, uh, you know, cold outreach being like the one motion that you have. But I think, you know, a cold email to distribute some sort of content is uh, probably a a better place to start than just, uh, you know, trying to launch into a pitch. Mary, what do you think?
3: Okay. Yeah, I just Uh, dropped a link in the chat to um, Will Allred. um, Abdullah, if you're already on LinkedIn and you saw our stuff there, I highly recommend checking out his posts. He um, owns a software as a service thing called Lavender where he'll analyze your cold emails and figure out why you're not getting opens and responses. Um, He's still a huge proponent of like focus lists and segmentation, but you might get some good tips there.
1: Okay, thank you.
3: Yeah, you bet. Yeah.
1: Thanks for joining, Abdullah. Good question. Um, we've had another question come in um about frequency. And I know that's something we wanted to talk about uh today too. Um, do y'all have preferences on how often you're sending newsletters or what's your trigger? Um interested to hear from you too, James.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can lead. I would say it in some way, it depends on what your well it depends on what your goals are, for one thing. Um you know, but it also depends on what you have to say. Um, you know, what is your content actually? Like before you get into frequency, what are you showing people? Um, if, if your expertise is valuable to customers on a weekly basis, you should have a weekly newsletter. If, you're, if you have expertise that's valuable to customers on a monthly basis, monthly newsletter. I think, um, you know, it's like a cop-out answer. But it really is, you know, if you want to, if you want to get better results and I think the first thing to think about is what content is better. Um, And then if the content dictates a better frequency, I think then you've kind of found your
4: sweet spot, I guess. I follow quite a few, like, you know, B2B marketer dudes on, you know, with their newsletters and the frequency that most of them are at are at weekly, Uh, you know, and they're like writing specific specific emails and not like necessarily linking out to other content. Um, So that's kind of the, you know, what I've seen from like the B2B thought leader influencer type guys and gals, so, but I think, yeah, James is right. Like for us, you know, with Gorilla, I think what we would, you know, if we were to get into like a IML newsletter, like we'd probably have something, probably like a follow-up to this webinar. Right. Like that's how what our uh, frequency and cadence would be for sending emails out. Because, like, what would we do in the off week? Maybe we could do something with the manufacturing marketer podcast, but it probably like we would use this as this is our content pillar. And so we would use this as a way for us to put out highlights from an IML episode into uh, an email.
1: So, James, oh, sorry, Mary, go ahead.
3: Yeah. I was going to ask James actually, like, I think more important than the frequency is like, what should the content be? Like, how should you write emails, James? Like, what you should you be putting in there? What makes a great email? Like, what makes it worthy of even asking the question, how many times should I be sending this amazing content out?
2: Yeah, I think if if your goal is to, you know, stay top of mind and be a thought leader and be seen as an expert, um, I think the first thing you should ask is, okay, what what expertise do I have that's valuable to the customer? if customers were buying expertise from us, what would they be buying? Um, can I send that to them? You know, Can every time a customer reaches out um, to talk through an engineering problem and maybe we eventually quote them something, um, can we tell a story about solving that problem in an email? I mean, this is what, because what it really is, is it's something that you can put in a potential prospect's inbox that helps them do their job. Because when someone opens their inbox, it really is a to-do list. Um, Maybe not for everyone, but I think for quite a lot of people, they open their inbox and when they see an inbox of 24, that's 24 things that they have to do. And that thing that they have to do could be deleting your email without opening it, or it could be opening it and taking it very seriously because you've developed a habit of giving them the things that they need to help them do their job. Um, so I think, if you could sell expertise to a customer but you don't have that sales motion because it'd be too expensive to have that sales motion to just sell expertise, well, you can give that expertise away. And I think that that is probably like the backbone um, to reach most people's goals on email, which would be, I just want to stay top of mind and I want to be seen as an expert and associated with expertise in my field.
1: Do you have any examples of like where you've seen that happen or where you've seen it be done well?
2: Yeah. Um, so we have a client who, this is a newsletter that they don't do with us. Um, they they do this on their own, but they send it weekly and it is a market report and they are a trader. Um, so this is a report they don't even produce themselves. They hire an expert who's basically the preeminent um specialist in their particular commodity that they trade. And she produces the report for them um, with an agreement that they'll also send it out to their customers as their market report. Um, And this is the, it's the exact type of expertise that they do kind of sell, like people trade with them because they have knowledge that other people don't have. Um, But they also, you know, you can get that weekly from them in an email, um, and people open it. Everyone knows that exactly what they're getting. You know, you are getting the market report for this week, dated November eighth. Um, you know, next week you'll be getting the same thing dated November fifteenth. It has very obvious utility. Um, anyone who wants that will open it. Um, there's no. It's nice because they don't have to answer you know a ton of questions about like. How should we write a headline or how should we write a subject line? How should we write preview text? Because they've earned everyone's attention by delivering really obvious utility week in and week out. Um, the problem is that it costs, you know, they, they have to, they pay an expert to provide them with that. Having the content at that level does cost money.
1: So if you don't have an expert that you're going to pay, you know, to, to contract out your emails. Um, and you do just currently have a newsletter. That's probably the situation I think most of us would find ourselves in. Um, what are some things you can do to improve the quality of your 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 content just right now?
2: Yeah, I think being the, becoming the expert, you know, really taking the expertise that your company has, you know, you wouldn't be the person selling that expertise um if your company did um you know maybe your engineers are the people who hold that um maybe you have a salesperson who who holds a lot of understanding of the market that um would be really valuable um maybe they hold all the keys to the conversations that matter maybe it's your customer support people um but like getting as much of that as you can from them um and then also just kind of thinking about email Like you would think about LinkedIn. When you when you get on LinkedIn to send an ad, you don't just post a link to content that's optimized for your website. You take all kinds of steps to make it good content on LinkedIn. Hmm. Um, But a lot of people in their newsletters don't do that to the email. Uh, If you send a weekly newsletter and every single time you're just trying to drag someone off into learning center content, um, you know that's. Are you really providing the person who's scrolling through their inbox with the thing that they need in their inbox? Um, you know, So I would say, think about actually optimizing the content for email. Maybe you're already saying really important things elsewhere, but people aren't reading it in email. People aren't getting it, mostly because it's just not optimized for the experience that people want to have when they open their
4: inbox in the first place. This goes back to our philosophy on demand, gen, And James has hit the nail right in the head, right? Like, I think to have a really good email, and it's the same thing if you want to, have, want to have a really good organic social strategy or a really good pay strategy, you need to be creating content. And content is the king of everything you do in marketing, right? And so you need to have some way to create content, right? So, at like Gorilla, we have IML. This is how we create content for marketers. Uh, you know, it could be a blog motion, it could be like do you have a podcast? Do you have a video series? You need to be creating some sort of content to develop yourself as a thought leader with, you know, a POV on you know expertise and information and education. And then, like James said, then you have to format that thought leadership piece into the distribution channel that you're using, right? So if you're on organic social, you have to write a good LinkedIn post with the content that you did in your blogger. If you're going to do a good email, well, you have to format it in a way that people will read it on their phones and their, you know, on their, in in their phone inbox or on their outlook. Like how do people want to read this on email? Uh, If you're going to distribute your thought leadership stuff on TikTok, well, you better make a really good TikTok video, right? Like you have to mold your uh, creative into the channel you're using, but having a foundational piece of content that you're always doing will help you be a better marketer in all these channels.
1: So I'd like to, we've had, we've had a a very active chat, um, today and I'd like to, uh, actually pull Mike, uh, Tao up on stage because Mike's been sharing a lot of tips and, uh, I'm just kind of curious to hear a little bit more about your experience with email, Mike, and like just what you've learned, uh, through, you know, trial and error things that you uh, like to see, and uh, you know, folks have questions too about preview text, and you don't have to get into all that. But any any tips that you've uh, learned along the way is, is great to share.
5: I mean, it really does all come down to content, um, and and pointing that content to, directly at the people that would be consuming it. So, if you're marketing to engineers, you want to make sure that that if you have you're, you're marketing uh, more technical type knowledge. If you're if you're marketing to a buyer, you want to be on their. You understand what what their buying cycle looks like, what they're what things they're looking for in their in their products. So that's that's really the overall philosophy that we take is is just making sure that we're we're segmenting out our list and then putting the content in front of people that need it.
1: So do you send a newsletter um, with your company, or how do y'all currently use email?
5: Um, uh, we're, we're a marketing company, much like Grow 76 for, for okay. smaller, uh, mainly, mainly machine shops. So we, we, do, we do work for, for our customers and, and put content out for whether it's a tool and die shop or, um, just a general, uh, machine shop or contract manufacturer.
1: Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, Mike.
2: I think it's great that you to think about it, like you said, based on who is who is reading it in terms of their job title. Um, I know when we were in the prep call, we kind of talked back and forth, Mary, Brendan, and I about if you'd want to segment down by industry, and I was kind of like, that's just like a lot of work. Um, but thinking about it by job title makes a ton of sense, because that person in that job title has a particular type of to do list. If the inbox is a to do list, They have particular tools that they need to do their job. Um, The purchasers tools that they need to do their job are so significantly different. Um, So like what Mike's saying is super important because you need to capture the thing that someone needs to do their job really quickly, and you don't have a lot of time to do that. And they need to know um, that you understand that. So that's like an inseparable point from really the goal of email and what's successful.
1: So folks have had uh, some questions about just best practices with um, subject lines and uh, preview text, things like that. Do y'all have any tips um, there? The one that I throw in right off the bat is emojis can be very useful (laughs) for subject lines. Don't be afraid of emojis, even if you're an established manufacturer.
4: I mean, like, I think you have to think of the subject line as the hook that you would have on a social post or an ad, right? Like that is the first thing that someone is going to see. And it's your way to get them to stop in their tracks and open email. Right. So you like, yeah, I, uh, I think you have to spend a lot of like an inordinate amount of time on the subject line, uh, to convince someone to open your email. Like the most effort you put into that email needs to go into the subject line if you want them to open it.
3: Yeah, I think it depends on like what you want. Like that's a really good point, Brendan. Like if you're trying to get your newsletter um, open rates up, but your open rate right now is like 15%, it's probably the content, not the subject line, right? But if you're doing like a webinar or a live event or something like that, and you really need people to like click through and register, then I would definitely recommend testing different subject lines. A uh, really good one, a uh, really good tip that I picked up from MJ Peters, one of my favorite uh, marketers on LinkedIn, is write 10 subject lines for every like major email you're going to write, whether that's a webinar promo, a newsletter, or a product promo. So you don't necessarily have to do this with smaller emails. And then it kind of forces you to just really vary your subject line variations, so you can kind of pick the best one from there. So force yourself to write ten.
2: I kind of i don't know. I think I think about the subject line a little differently than than Brendan and Mary. The first thing I would say is like i wouldn't I wouldn't spend an inordinate amount of time on my subject line until I knew I was nailing the content in the email um. And I think that people open the email primarily because you've already demonstrated value for them in the past. Um, everyone is kind of hip to marketing emails at this point. You know, everyone on your list has probably already received multiple from you if you're already running uh, email newsletters. I do think, you know, Katie mentioned transparency in the chat in the subject line. I think the best subject line just tells the reader, the value that they're going to get from the email. And if you're delivering value with your email and you're consistently telling people what that value is going to be, then everyone who benefits from that will open the email. And if you promise email, if you promise value with every single subject line, I mean, maybe that forces you to deliver it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let people know what, what they're gaining by opening and they'll just be more likely to do it Um, if you kind of, I don't know if you read a bunch about tips and tricks and, um, oh, ask questions that people want to answer with no, and they'll open your email types of things. If you, if that's what drives your email, like tactics, um, you're just going to be like getting a bunch of people opening emails and being disappointed by the content itself. Um, so First things first, like make sure you're nailing it with the content and then think about how you can transparently help people understand what that value will be without opening the email yet. And then they'll just open it because they know they need to.
4: They definitely go hand in hand, right? Uh you have to be clear, and not clever or you know, be more clear than you are clever. Um and it's okay to be clickbaity, I think, if you uh if you deliver on the clickbait, right? Um, you know, <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, so if you're going to say something ridiculous in the in the subject line, make sure that you back it up with something in the in the copy.
3: So would you guys be opposed if I did a quick screen share on how to retarget emails in social media platforms? Do it. All right, cool. So it'll take like two seconds. So I'm in campaign manager for those of you who don't already know what that is. Um, all right, are y'all seeing this? Yes. Perfect. So, what you're going to do is here's your campaign manager. You're going to go to this little icon here. It's called Plan. You're going to hit Audiences. You're going to hit Create Audience. Upload a list of companies or contacts. Download this contact list template to make sure that it matches what LinkedIn wants. And then you upload it, name it, and then you can start sending ads to that contact list. The only Um, caveat there is it has to be at least 300 people.
4: And that works for a list of people that signed up for your emails and for lists that you purchased.
1: Yes. Awesome. Thanks, Mary. I can. So a little bit about reporting. We've talked about open rates. Obviously open rates are important. What other metrics should you care about when it comes to email?
3: I think subscriber list, if you have a really good newsletter. So if you're growing subscribers and not losing a lot of people with unsubscribes, that's going to be huge for your newsletter health. Um, If you're doing webinars, which is what I know a lot of, I did a lot of webinar promos in my previous life and I looked a lot at click rate to registration rate. So how many people were clicking my registration link and actually registering for the event? That can tell you a lot about either the quality of the content in your email. So if a lot of people aren't clicking it at all, so you have like, let's throw out an example, a 30% open rate, but a, but a less than 1% click rate, then you're probably not capturing people with the content. Um, if you have a high click rate, but a low registration rate, so less than, I would put it high. I would put it at like 70%. If less than 70% of clickers are not registering for the event, then something's going off with either your landing page, or you're asking too many fields on the form, like something in there is causing friction where people are clicking, expecting to register, but they're not actually going through and registering. So all goes back to the beginning. Um, What are your goals for that email? Awesome.
1: How do you know that... uh, Do you feel like industry averages are... Accurate, or that they that they serve as good benchmarks, um or like, how do how do you benchmark yourself? How do you know if you're doing good? Th- Go ahead, Brendan.
4: Well, I was just say, like, initially, like, yeah, it's good to see, like, okay, so in you know, in manufacturing, they open at this percentage, or maybe in you know, medical devices, they open at this, but you have no idea, like, what the actual, like, what do those emails look like? Are they accounting for all emails, right? Like, is that thirty percent rate for all manufacturers? Is that including order confirmations? and webinar registrations, and then you know newsletters. Like, is it all emails together? Um, so it's hard to use that as a base because it's not very scientific. You don't know what types of emails and what types of email addresses these were. So I think it's good to have a starting place, but you need to build your own benchmarks, right? And then start looking at yourself month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year, and um, and use that as a way to judge where you're currently at. And I'd say like that's probably true for almost any marketing that you're gonna do. Right. Like it's okay to like to go say in Google ads, like 3% is like a good click through rate, but you should probably be judging yourself based. Like if you're at 5%, well, then don't say, like, well, we're always over 5%. So we're good. Like, what if you dropped to four? Well, you just lost one percentage of click through rate. So maybe you need to change something. So you as a benchmark.
1: Awesome. Well, I'd like to open it up for any questions that folks have. Uh, I know that folks are interested a little bit more to talk a little bit more about LinkedIn um and using email to maybe build targeted lists there as well. But uh if y'all if y'all have any other questions, feel free to drop them in the chat and we can get to them or fi- specifically. There there, there's a couple.
4: So for. uh I think just for a couple definitions. So Jeremy, um and Mary or James, correct me if I'm wrong here, but so. Um, a email open is someone that actually opened the email. And I don't know, like, I think that also includes like fully opening it and then opening in the preview pane, um, considers an open and then a click is a click within the email rate right, to some other yeah, thing. To a link,
3: a link, yep. or the phone number that's on there or something. Yep. Um, I do want to address one additional question on retargeting. Um, I think we said you ha- can only retarget if they fill out a form, you can retarget on social media platforms, Google and YouTube. If the pixel is on your website. So,
4: so you need to then to get to your website, right? Because the pixel won't yes. live in your email.
3: Correct, yeah, right. so it can't live in your email. It ha- they have to get to your website. So you can install a pixel on your website. It's pretty easy to do. If you need help, um, DM me on LinkedIn, uh, but it's install this pixel on the heading of all of your website pages, and then you can go into that same area. So I'll just share my screen again really quick because it's easier. Um, That same area where we go to plan, audiences, create audience. We're going to retarget by website. Anyone who engaged with your website, and then you can choose up to 180 days. And you can do anything that either contains, starts with. So if we wanted to do like Gorilla76.com, we can do anybody who's engaged with a page that contains girl 76.com would see our ad. Mm-hmm. That same capability is also available on Facebook.
4: All right. Um, Karen had one in here. Um, so she said, I get daily emails from companies wanting to sell subscriber lists. I don't make a practice of buying them. However, with Mary's suggestion and uploading to campaign manager, um, it seems like that could be a good idea. How do you vet the list to ensure they're good? So uh, Karen, I'd say like, it kind of goes with everything. Like, is the company that is selling the list a good company? Like, do they have a good brand? Do they have a good reputation? Um, You know, like, is it an industry, like I'd probably trust like a trade journal or an industry publication over like just some random company that's got a list of emails. Um, Cause I think, you know, that, um, that trade journal probably has a a higher reputation and authority and they are, they want you to buy more lists in the future and like, you know, buy other things for advertising. So they won't sell you a bad list. Um, But, you know, if you are, I would probably look at if you're going to buy a list, maybe just think about doing cold targeting too, unless like you, that industry list is uh, very specific and niche down for you. Um, you can get similar results on cold targeting and then you like don't have to pay for the list because LinkedIn will just give it to you.
3: Yeah. And I would like to <laughs> definitely. But buy, but
4: it makes sense, make sense to buy the list and put it on Facebook because it's harder to do cold targeting for B2B industrial on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I would love to emphasize there is... So okay, let's say you're buying this list. So let's say the list is $10,000 and you're getting 16,000 contacts. You upload that into LinkedIn and we'll say it matches 10,000. So that audience is 10,000 people. I can tell you right now that if you want to send a campaign regularly to a group of 10,000 people, it's going to cost you around $2,000 per month if you want to send a campaign at a decent frequency. So now you're spending $2,000 a month plus 5,000 on that list. Mm -hmm. So before you decide to do like an upload and buy a list and upload it, make sure you do have the budget to support those Mm -hmm. campaigns and that strategy.
1: Mm -hmm. I also want to pull up the issue that Tom is talking through right now about list cleanup, Mm -hmm. because I think that, a lot of companies probably have very large lists, and and Beth, uh, you had a really great idea uh, about just sending like a form. You want to talk about that for a
0: second, Beth? Put you on the spot. <laughs> You're like, where's my sorry? Un- I was like, where's my unmute button? All of a sudden, I couldn't find it. Um, yeah, I've done that before, where if there's some specific field I want, you know, like I want to have active like on um, for our contacts and have a lot of missing fields in our database, like I will just send out an email with that sole purpose of like, hey, like we're updating our records and to better service you. I need to know like what your role is, you know, and then just directly link it to your form where they can select, you know, like if they are customer service or outside sales or engineer, that type of thing. So it saves you a lot of time so that you don't have to actually manually do it yourself you can just have the users doing it and then two, the users that respond are users that you're going to have you know like who you're going to actually want to reach and be more acceptable to receiving like emails from you as well
4: yeah and i'd say if if you haven't sent an email to a list in you know probably a year like probably go back and do what beth just said to make sure that those people are still there um, before you put them into a newsletter workflow um, because people move, right? Like we all go to different companies and jobs and we get different email addresses. So I don't check my old job's email address because they took it away from me. So someone would need to get yep. my new email address to to get to me. Uh, another yeah, thing first step is,
0: a- is always like running it through a verification because I get a lot of emails from our sales team, and so yeah, half of them usually aren't even viable anymore.
4: There are email list cleaning softwares that so you can upload your list into a software provider and, oh uh, yeah. She's trying to escape, um, <laughs> uh, but there there are softwares out there that um, that you can upload the list to, and then it'll like it'll do the checks for you, so it doesn't you know hurt you with your authority with the ESP. Um, so I we use one here at Grill. I can't remember what the name of it is, um, but you upload it for a nominal fee, and they'll they'll make sure like all these are valid verified email addresses. And then I would do on top of that, then do what what uh, Beth just said, and then send the cleaned list this thing to verify that they want to be a part of your newsletter workflow.
1: Yeah. And take advantage of that email. to so then like Beth suggested, yeah. sending the, the the fields that you might need their help filling in. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. I also almost think like when I, when I think of an, an email list that's 16,000 people large, I think like, man, maybe before cleaning that you could even shoot a shot you know, like, do you have an ask? Like, you know, is, is there something you could really use from some of that 16,000 people, if any of them are still, you know, alive and listening? Um, because, you know, that's when you start, that's when I start thinking, maybe it's because I did do sales at one point, but it's like, man, your law of averages, like, even if you got, what ask, if you got 10 responses to would just be great. Like, is that a good, time to pitch customer research or market research, you know, should you be trying to do market research based on that? Um, I mean, my brain kind of ticks off a little bit and starts thinking like, man, before just trimming a 16,000 person list, you may as well fire off like a half court shot, um, and see what happens because that's a pretty valuable asset, even if it hasn't been maintained or cleaned or anything like that.
0: That's great.
1: Awesome. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, uh, per usual, and I really appreciate everyone uh, unmuting, coming on stage with us, uh, sharing your uh, learnings uh, with the team. And uh, we only have one Industrial Marketing Live left of the year, so we're not going to be gathering later this month um, because it's Thanksgiving. Um, So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Uh, And then we'll meet again in early December. Um, That session is going to be an ask me anything style session. So I feel like um, I better have my coffee and something extra that day to keep up with the chat because that's going to be crazy. I might need to pull in some reinforcements. Um, But uh, we're really excited uh, to kind of round out the year in, in a fun way with an ask me anything. But uh, yeah, if you would like, I saw the chat here, if you would like an invitation to the Slack group, just let me know in the chat here. And I go through at the end of every session and send people invites. Um, So that's how it works. If you all have any questions, any follow-ups, Slack's a great place to meet us um, and and ask questions too. Um, Otherwise, we will see you in about a month on the last episode of the year. Crazy. I know. All right. Well, y'all have a good one. Bye.
4: Bye.